Hey, it's Matthew. And I'm Drew. And this is our podcast, The Strands That Bind Us. We're both hairstylists, and in the decade we've been friends, we've been able to work together all around the world. Hair isn't the job for us, it's our passion. But more importantly, we are interested in the stories of how hair has shaped the lives of those that work with it and those that wear it. Hair has the ability to transform your look and your spirit, but hair can also change your life. Here are some of these stories. It's the strands that bind us Every day and everywhere From New York to LA From Tokyo to the Red Square In today's episode of The Strands That Bind Us, we sit down to chat with native New Yorker Yurish, who experienced several life chapters worth of lessons even before entering into the hair community. Yurish and I were introduced several years ago during our involvement as educators at L'Oreal Professionnel, where we developed a friendship, exchanged countless ideas and concepts, and began supporting each other's growth. Today, Yurish sits as the Global Director of Development for Purology, Director of Education at Broom Street Society Salon in New York City, facilitator of personal and business development workshops for hairstylists and corporate teams within the L'Oreal Professional Products Division and is one hell of a motivational individual. His unique path has led him to a blend of highs and lows filled with punk music, family support, substance abuse, and silver linings, as he's reinvented himself and allowed his successes to stack high. This is Eurisha's story. So let's let's kick it off, Yurish. So first of all, a little bit of what I know about you. You grew up in Hell's Kitchen, which must have been interesting to say the very least. You were also in a punk rock band for your youth. What was it like growing up in that area in New York, in that particular scene? And how do those experiences shape you into the strong ass man that you are today? First of all, what's interesting, you know, and I always goof around with Drew about this, you know, uh, because like people don't necessarily realize this, but I'm 48. So when I grew up in Hell's Kitchen, like Drew, you go to Hell's Kitchen right now, you see wine bars and bistros. When I was in Hell's Kitchen, it was crack dealers and hookers. So really different, you know? And what's also really relevant about this too is Hell's Kitchen since the 50s, interestingly, has been a hub for music. It's a large reason why my why my parents moved there to a certain degree, aside from being able to afford it, you know, because my dad's a jazz musician. So um, hell, uh, the street I grew up on, 52nd Street, if you look at a picture of 52nd Street taken from the 50s, you'll be astounded. It's just jazz club after jazz club after jazz club. Birdland was three blocks away from where I grew up in the 50s with Charlie Parker. You know what I'm saying? So that's where I grew up. Um, let me let me see. When I talk about Hell's Kitchen, I think about the art. I think about the creativity, right? A lot of the people that live there, a lot of them were musicians. A lot of them, what, my the apartment I grew up in has a backyard. <laughs> Keep those backyards if you got them in New York, man. <laughs> yeah, they, my parents still live there. 1976, rent control. They'll never leave. Separate conversation but, or related. But anyway, so as a kid, I'd go out there. You would hear a guy practicing his saxophone you would hear an opera singer. Like, this was the neighborhood. Do you see what I'm saying? 
So that's the first thing that I want to focus on was that it was filled with creativity from the outside, as well as the fact that this is astounding too. My dad's a jazz drummer. Every Sunday, and this is how much the city has changed, in Manhattan, 52nd Street and 10th Avenue, Heart of Hell's Kitchen, every Sunday me and my mother would actually go out for two hours because my father would practice the drums in our apartment. And nobody said nothing about it. Do you think where I'm coming from? You didn't have any, no old ladies above knocking no. on the, with the broomstick, no. nothing like that. That was the way it was. Wow. You know what I mean? When I look, um, when I look at it now, when I look at what New York is now, and I'm going to extend this conversation if I, if I could to Soho as well. I spent a lot of time down there because my father was, uh, played in lofts a lot. A lot of his friends were, were down there. Um, and that was a lot of the venues. That, that had um, alternative jazz and freeform jazz music, which is what my father uh, performs and um, composes. But this is, I believe it's relevant for today. When I would go down to Soho as a kid, when I would go down to Soho as a teenager in my punk rock days, you'd be the only one walking in the street. There was no stores. There was nothing to buy. Like you could be on West Broadway and Spring Street with fistfuls of money, I want to spend it at fancy ass stores and there would be nowhere to spend. You were literally the only one walking down there. It was all artists. That was it. You know? When you were done, when you were down there, was it just groups of artists getting together to create or were they kind of escaping the other areas or the other boroughs? Like, why did people really go there? They were creating because this was a place, remember, or don't remember, all these lofts, they were warehouse spaces. You'd go into my their houses, see, and this is pre what we see now. You would go into the houses. I want to use the restroom. You go into the restroom. They got like 10 urinals because it was a factory. Do you know what I'm saying? Like now it's all redone and million dollars. It's like, no, back then, like there's no lights, there's no heat. You know what I'm saying? It was like, it wasn't like, well, ooh, loss of New York. It's like nobody wanted to live in no loft in New York. You know what I mean? And that was a huge part of it. So I share this. Because of why I think it's relevant in this season is because right now, and Drew will attest to this because you're here, New York will never come back. You know, it's lost all of its shopping and it's fine dining. I'm like, when the F was New York about shopping and fine dining? New York was about creativity. New York was about freedom. And quite frankly, something that I realized growing up in Hell's Kitchen and my experience in Soho and would be the East Village and throughout these different areas, sadly, uh, in our society, what I find is if you want to truly create, you needed an area like that. You needed an area that was dangerous. You needed an area where hookers were turning tricks in the hallway because if you're trying to innovate something, you can't afford $5,000 a month rent. And so it wound up working with that. And then that built up this community of like-minded artists. And that was a lot of what performance art um, scene was about, which was this melding of writers and, and authors and, and, and um, actors and painters and musicians. And everybody hung out together. And that's why it was such a huge um, source of inspiration. You know what I mean? So by growing up in Hell's Kitchen, number one, it was that. And I, and I, and as I've gotten older, I've chosen to focus on that more. Um, because, um, there was another element of it as well, uh, in the sense of it was, it, especially in the eighties. In the eighties, 
it it became very dangerous. Crack crack hit Hell's Kitchen really hard, and it really transformed the neighborhood. And it was probably one of my real first conscious revelations of something. And uh, my parents are some of the most like together people you'll ever meet. My parents they barely they barely drink. I never see them doing it. They like my dad's a jazz musician. Like they gave birth to me in seventy two. They quit smoking weed. Like they don't even do that. My father, when he plays with musicians, he he composes the music, he plays the music, he gets paid. Then his band members do whatever the hell they're gonna do. He goes home to my mother. Always has since I've been a kid. I grew up behind my father's drum set. Now I share this because during the eighties, you know, I'm I'm now I'm I'm hitting teenager. And and this is relevant because my house was like an oasis. Outside, the second I left my house, it was crazy town. If I checked my mail, somebody could have broken into it. And like, I could literally like vial, like bags of vials of crack would fall out because they were using it as a crack stash. You see what I'm saying? Right? <laughs> like you, when you're walking outside the building, literally there'd be people hustling on the corner and 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 like you could walk by every third car had a gun under the wheel well of the car because when people drove by drive by and you just grab grab and you'd be shooting into the street so this is a lot of what hell's kitchen was like in the 80s because and and i think a lot of a lot of the hoods had that experience you know if you went out to lower east side similar situation uh continued through the 90s to be quite honest with you and why i share this is because this would be where I would fall into a little bit of a socioeconomic trap. And and I share it this way because this is very important. My parents, if I just just stuck with the plan, like my life would have been paradise. Because I had friends whose moms were like crack addicted and were like turning tricks. I had friends whose father was in and out of prison because they were selling drugs. I had I knew those people. You know, my parents were like you walked up, you, to this day, you go into the house, like, you can hear the music blasting from the apartment. My parents are, like, dancing to Sly and the Family Stone and, like, cooking spaghetti and crap. I didn't even know I was poor until I went to the wealthy private school that my mom got financial aid scholarship, <laughs> which may actually come up. Because, actually, in that school was where I met the first punk rocker I ever met. And that's, interestingly, how I got turned on to that. And then I would later join this punk rock band. Yeah? But in that moment, what I, I I I started running with the wrong people. A lot of it had to do with my self concept. I will share that. You know, I don't know what happened in my life. I don't know how I got this impression, but I definitely didn't value myself very much. Didn't it's not I didn't think of myself very much. I don't know. I didn't have much to offer. I I didn't think I was worth much. Even though my parents, like, I was raised totally the contrary. I had minor depression problems, minor to moderate depression problems. I think that contributed to it. Yeah, isn't that interesting how you can come from a family of such love and support and there's something inside us, you know, we all are so differently wired that you can still have something that, that makes you tick a certain way. That's oh, fascinating. Oh, yeah. And it's profound. And I'll tell you, it's one of the biggest lessons I think of when I deal with empathy, you know, is like when people... 
you know, look at, you know, a kid who's going through challenges and they're like, well, I wonder what's going on in that house. I'm like, you know what? Maybe nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know what that, what that kid brings to the table later on in life. I would be a stepfather. My ex-wife had two children. I helped raise kids for eight years. Mm. And um, it was my first moment when I realized like these two kids grew up with the same mom before I showed up. Boy, they were night and day in personality, right? You know, kids bring their own thing to the mix. You think you're like, oh, I'm going to shape hearts and minds. And it's like, you're, I was alarmed at how little control I had over the shaping of these two kids. And, 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 and that brought clarity to my own journey with my own parents and their frustrations and how difficult that was. Yeah. And, and in that moment, what can I say, man? I, I, yeah. I hit the streets. Clearly, like everyone's journey has in, in life has its ups and downs and how you climb out of those valleys can really define who you become as a person. Can you think of a time in your life that was really your lowest point for yourself and tell us how you climbed out of it? Oh, sure. I was homeless, man. I was homeless. That was probably the lowest point in my life. How did you get homeless? I was a drug addict. I was a junkie for 10 years. That's how that happened. It connected with the depression. Um, then I joined this band. And I'll tell you something that was interesting with this. And again, there may be value within this. It became a self-propelling engine. Mm. The band became pretty big. To be honest with you, you can Google the casualties right now. They're actually considered a really big punk rock band, which is hilarious because I was the founder. I, I saw your picture up on there. I, I checked it out. <laughs> you look good, man. I was the founding drummer. I was the first drummer. And within that, what was interesting was losing myself because I was now starting to show up the way I felt people expected me to. And that became a self-propelling engine that would really fuel like a lot of very very extreme and excessive drug use because I was the wild drummer and I lost myself in that. So anytime I showed up, where are the forties? Where's the drugs? Where's this? And it's like the truth of the matter, since I was a little kid, I was considered a gifted artist, man. I got a full ride to Parsons School of Design. I dropped out because of the band, right? I designed my first record cover when I was 14 years old. Wow. Yeah, I got into music and art school in New York. I was good. I was about to leap across it. I just wound up staying in the school that I was at. You know, that was my my gift. And instead of identifying myself like that, somehow I started showing up like a Sid Vicious. Like you just never knew. You would hang out with me. It could be a party. You could get arrested. It could go a lot of different directions, to be honest. You could do both. <laughs> at the end of all of it, what? You know, I lost everything, man. I lost the band. I lost my friends. I lost trust. And in the end, I wound up homeless, you know, because of it. And to be honest with mm. you, interestingly enough, that was my lowest point, but that wasn't the end of my journey with drugs. But it was the beginning of me saying, listen, something's got to shift. And I share that in primarily, I I've had an alarming amount of overdoses, actually. I've had you know, um, afterlife experiences because of it, all of these different things. And one thing that I realized that helped me in that time was that, honestly, it, to be like totally transparent, I was about to ride it till the wheels fell off. I didn't necessarily care what happened at that point. You know, the thing that I became to realize was like, wow, actually the wheels aren't going to fall off for whatever reason. I'm going to be that dude who's going to be like 50 and homeless and still a junkie and still suffering. And that was when it was like, whoa, if I'm going to like 
be like Keith Moon and like do and go out like that. It's like that's one thing. But if I'm not going to go through decades worth of suffering, like something's got to shift. You know what I mean? Right. And that would be the beginning of my journey out of it. And to be honest, I think maybe about I would finally get clean. I, I remember I got clean off narcotics August 1st when I was 20, my birthday when I was uh, 26. So that was, that wow. was, I remember specifically okay. in a completion of that, Drew. That's a long ride. What an example of every decision. We think we struggle with decisions, but a decision is made in a second. What do I mean? I went to rehab. I cold turkeyed it countless times. I couldn't think, I couldn't stop. It was ridiculous, you know? And I'm walking to my parents' house in Midtown on my birthday, apparently, I'm 26. And I walk past a dumpster, you know, one of those big dumpsters they have in New York, you know, tossing sofas into it or whatever. And I literally took my kit, which has, you know, your, your works and all that stuff. I took it. I threw it into the dumpster. Never touched it since. After years of struggle of trying to figure out how to get off this crap, in a second, it was like the decision was made. Wow. And, and, and I mean, there was probably a lot of people. I can think of the, the my counselor that I met in a methadone program, totally changed my life. That one particular person in particular in that journey. And it probably a lot of the words finally, maybe, I don't know, I heard it finally in my own head, but it was literally that simple. When it really, when the rubber met the road, I was like, this is ridiculous. And I happened to be on methadone, so I wasn't going to go into detox, you know, but that was a struggle because, you know, I, I couldn't stay off of it, even though I was on that. For so many people who are struggling with, you know, any form of addiction or behavioral dependencies, I think you, to your point, there's the decision to make the decision. And then you also just reach a point where, as you said, enough is enough. Yeah. Like it's no longer a decision that has to be made. It's just automatic. You don't yeah. want anything to do with it anymore. That's been a long ride for you. And whatever it looks like, and, and I continue to be um, so blessed to have, you know, my family, my parents, you know, they're still with me. They've got it together. Why I share this is because I also want to perform that message to people who don't have that, right? Because not everybody who has that challenge in their life has that level of support, right? So it becomes, it's a, it's a, it's a different type of thing. However, I would encourage like, who, who is your methadone counselor who changes your life? You know, who is that person who you could reach out to? Who is a positive person that you can start chilling with as opposed to the 80 negative people you've been chilling with? I understand how drugs can be a really isolating journey, but there's usually people that we've cut off or have cut us off. And that's that moment when we have to let go of the ego and come, like they say in, in the recovery programs, it's like, listen, you know, and come and make your amends and say, listen, I'm sorry. Do you know, let me be better. I want you back in my life. And that stops, I think, a lot of people because they don't want to do that. It's scary. They don't want to get rejected again. And you might because I did a lot of messed up things. My parents right now, they don't need to talk to me, to be quite honest, the crap I pulled on them. You know what I'm saying? So I'm blessed with that, too. But if you don't put it out there, what? What do they say? If you don't ask, the answer is always no. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's one of those things I want to be cognizant of when I share that journey, that I had those gifts through it that not a lot of people have. And I want to speak to that to make sure that people who don't have that know that there's a way forward in that too. But it does come with like humbling yourself, taking accountability for what you've done, 
and and trying to reestablish you know those positive people in your life they're there somewhere and uh and to and to really seek that out bring that back into your life so mm-hmm. that you can get that support you know what i'm saying it's pretty it's pretty interesting and anyone any of my friends that have battled severely in in addiction it's really interesting when they come out of it the perspective that they have i think there's like a different type of wisdom that you you can't find you can't get there's there's something else that's there and um i think that's really powerful the journey that you went through and i think a lot of people are you know, going to be quite inspired because I know we're in an industry of creatives and we're in an industry where a lot of people have battled these same things and some are willing to talk about it and some are still ashamed of it. And I think it's uh, it's a great thing that you're talking about that. I think a lot of people will really, it'll really hit home to a lot of people. If I, if I may, Matthew, before you move on, a couple of things. I agree with you. And this is, again, so we're clear. This is across all, all, all professions, all industries. Yeah. I've done a lot of things, man. You know, after this, it prompted me to get my own certification to be a substance abuse counselor, right? It's one of the main reasons why I can communicate the way I do. The journey of drug addiction, once you've been through it, if you can make your way onto the other side of it, it's a real gift, Matthew, because you lose all judgment on anyone. No more do you walk past homeless people like, man, that person stinks. It's like, you're just like, bless you. You move into everything with a different kind of wisdom. And I love the way you worded that. When you have an experience like that, right? There's a lot of profound experiences that are painful. A lot of those experiences, though, that's where you get wisdom. Otherwise, you just have knowledge, right? Wisdom needs to be lived. Mm. Knowledge can be read. It's really different. And there's a level of knowledge that happens through those types of experiences that you can't read about. You dig yeah. where I'm coming from? 100%. And inspiration, I'll tell you, is a saying in recovery, you're only as sick as your secrets. I get it. And I get why people don't want to throw it out there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh no, what are people going to think? You know what? Listen, to this day, I don't know what people think. I never hit it. Um, I'm not ashamed of it. It was an experience that I had in my life. And now it's 20 something years later and today's a new day. I don't know what to say about that. You know what I'm saying? But what I will say is I would challenge if someone does judge, why are you judging me? Like you never had a hard time, you know, like it may not look like mine, right? But that moment, if there is a problem, that more has to do with the listener than the teller. You dig where I'm coming from? Yeah, exactly. Everybody should be able to relate to pain. We're, listen, man, we, we, we are shared struggle in this life, brothers. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, ain't nobody having an easy time, even the ones that look like they are. Only on Instagram, they look like easy. Yeah. And we know and we know about that, too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? And when it comes down to it in that moment, that's, that's just when are you going to be real with yourself? Yeah. You know? If, if, if people think I'm inspiring today, if people think I'm motivating today, if people think I serve artists and teams today, if people think that whatever of me today, that's part of why I'm the way I am. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're an amalgamation of our experiences. And that was a major experience of mine. So to look at my life now and to be like, wow, Eurisha's, you know, he's a really inspiring, motivating guy. It's like, well, you can't act like 10 years didn't happen. And then it's just like this. You know what I mean? That's an equal part of the journey along with all the trainings, along with the readings, along with whatever. 
you know, the negative experiences in many respects in our lives more profoundly um, affect us, change us, motivate us and inspire us than the ones when things are kicked back, to be honest with you. Whatever. I'm not proud of it, but I definitely don't hide it. You know, and I hope it, I hope me go, me sharing it makes that hard experience serve more people than just me. Cause Matthew, you bring up a great point, man. This is a creative industry. Any creative field is fraught with this. It's, it's a statistic. Yeah. You know, creative fields, uh, nurses and, uh, anesthesiologists and police. They're all the highest rates of addiction side in related news. Do you know what I'm saying? So the second you're around this many creatives, and I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying that it's a thing, yeah. you know, and, and it is, and it is in our in 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 the creative field and any creative field in that industry. Oh man, thank you, thank you for sharing that, and I hope you keep spreading that word because I know you know you've already changed a lot of lives, and I think through that story you're going to change a lot more. So. Thank you for that, Yurish. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So, you know, one thing that the three of us all have in common, aside from our careers, is that we all have ex-wives. And I now, didn't know we had that guy ex <laughs> Welcome. We're all in, brother. And so, you know, obviously we all have silver linings and your ex-wife gave you a gift. She introduced sure. you to the hair industry. Since she was your entry point to the world of hair, tell us how your relationship with your work changed when your personal life changed. Probably my first revelation about hair interestingly enough, was when I was a teenager, right? Because as a punk rocker, I had all these colors and all these mohawks and all this crazy stuff. Mm. I didn't know that I gave a crap about hair, to be honest with you. I just wanted to look badass with cool spike jackets and plaid bondage pants and hair, right? right? Just real quick question. What did you style your Liberty Spikes with? Egg whites or like gel? Either actually Aquanet Ultra Holes, soap, <laughs> or Knox Gelatin. Okay. Oh, Oh, the real deal. Okay. What? Please, Drew, you should know me better than that. It's all real here, son. Right? Now, and, and I'll say this too. In this moment, I would, again, realize it later, but um, I would have my first transformative experience with hair getting clean. The last hair I had, I had when I was 26, and it was my mohawk grown out into shoulder-length dreadlocks. So I shoulder length dreadlocks, a little bit like your length hair, Matthew, but just in the center and they were just dreadlocks. I couldn't see myself differently. I couldn't move on to the next chapter. And very early into me tossing the tossing away that situation and that experience into my life, the first thing I, I was like, this got to go. I can't, I, every time I look at myself, I keep seeing the same person. And that would be the, I haven't had hair since I've been 26. I, sh wow. I just clippered off my dreadlocks and that would be, it was like, it's a new day. So while still not doing Amazing. hair, it would be another bunch of years until I even got into it. That was when I first experienced the profound nature, transformative nature of hair, to be honest, was my own experience with it. Two, my ex-wife, probably one of the most talented hair colorists I've ever known. Number one, let me state that. Two, gift. Didn't only just turn me on to hair cutting, honestly, or hair or this industry, but showed me how to enter into it correctly. Right. Showed me, told me, listen, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody's journey, but I will share this. I remember when I was looking at beauty schools, there's this cheap beauty school in Northern California. That's where I was living at the time. $500, the entire beauty school called Gebka was in East Oakland. When you go on break, I had to walk half the class because they're, they're the primary female industry. 
they wouldn't go because people were like open air selling crack and smoking crack in the street. Like I had to escort them to get snacks. All right. Likely so, yeah. And why I share this is I was like, I said to my to my ex wife, I was like, I was like, you know, where where should I go to beauty? She's told me. She says you go anywhere. She's like, just pick the cheapest one. That's where you'll get your credential and you'll figure out how to keep everything sanitized. She says, but the artistry and the mastery of what you're going to learn is in your apprenticeship. Mm. So I saved the money on the front end and really I doubled down on what I did in my apprenticeship. And fortunately, again, the salon that I started in DPH Todd, I was there for 17 years. Una, my girlfriend, just brought that to the table. She was like, she was looking at my resume. She's like dealing with my LinkedIn and she was like, how long? Like she thought she read it wrong. She was like, you were 17 years? I was like, yes, I was. You know? And they were such a strong, they had such a strong education culture. I remember you speaking about it a lot. Yeah. They closed the lawn every Monday. There was class every Monday. They didn't eat, they got took care of they didn't do revenue on Monday because that was education day for the colorists and the and the haircutters. We were, I learned departmentalized, so I just know how to cut and style hair. Right, that's the way we learned in there, and so that was really the the one of the major gifts was just like, how do you even get into this on the right level, you know, so that when you're done, you can really enter in at the at the, let me word this correctly, at a place that is advantageous, pretty immediate future growth, future opportunities and creating the maximum amount of revenue possible in this industry. That's one of the main things that she turned me on to. And in starting my career in the salon, which she worked for, that was the thing, that was the entry into it, right? That's when I fell in love with education. Like my teachers, shoot, they were like the A team. Like everybody wanted to be a teacher. Like these people were bad ass. To this day, they're some of the best haircutters I've ever seen in in the twenty plus years I've been in this business. Were the people that taught me how to do it, you know, like that, and and that's what really got me started in education because they were something to aspire to and look up to. It was like they were just incredible. Do you know what I'm saying? So that was the big part of that journey. When I really think about it, too, after our relationship fell apart, I went into a dark time you know I, when i think about it my life my life like like many others like please i'm no rare snowflake in this right yeah. is it's like these hills in the valleys right this was another time i was in san francisco my entire network my parents that we were speaking about earlier they're back in hell's kitchen i'm by myself out there i don't have peoples you know what i mean this entire time i've been out there up until that moment i was married raising two kids like i don't have homies i don't have friends like i'm raising kids you know what i'm saying and, and going through a two and a half year apprenticeship program, four models every Monday. And if I miss three a month, I get fired like that. It wasn't like, oh, we'll talk about it. It was like, damn. When that ended, went through a rough year. Fortunately, never had a, never had a narcotic relapse during it, which was shocking because that kept my mom actually asked me, how are you doing with that? And I was like, interestingly, it literally never even crossed my mind to do that. I uh, lost focus. I forgot what I like to do. I'm sure both of you can relate to this, man. The first time I went shopping for groceries, three quarters of the damn fridge went bad. I was used to shopping for a wife and three, two kids. All of a sudden, I got all this crap, and it's like it's all going bad. We have to figure out how to shop for food. 
you know. Uh, man, I've seen you eat your ish. I'm sure you can put it away now. I lost sight of what I even like to do as an individual because I was in that situation, right? So there was that year where I was just kind of lost. And then I'll tell you what shifted. Transformation. You know, I am the king of the pivot when it comes to like switching the way I'm going to do things. It's like, I was doing this. Now I'm going to do that. I'm doing this. I'm huge with that. Right. And I was like, I'm cutting out all shenanigans. And I met um, a personal trainer, DJ changed my life in San Francisco. And I started working out and he got me into that. He got me into nutrition. As soon as I started getting my life right, it allowed me to focus on my career. And actually that would be my first opportunity where I would, um, where, where Drew and Matthew that because I worked with Shelly Moore at DPH Todd and we shared clients for years. Shout out to Shelly. Love you, Shelly. You're amazing. Yeah, Shelly. And she was the first one that, that put me on with L'Oreal, to be honest. And that's the way I, I, I got into that journey, which would then expand what I thought to be possible in the industry. You know what I mean? I, I got a more global outlook. I guess, I guess like, long answer longer i think that after the relationship my focus shifted so much to career and work and um fortunately i i somehow figured out with this dj getting my body right getting that discipline going and really um diving into that that would allow me to expand and that i would be ready for i frequently say this man i'm glad i started doing hair at 28 or 29 or something because if I had done it any earlier, I would have screwed the whole damn thing up. I wasn't ready. You know, I would have never been able to have the responsibility I have now. I would never be able to be around so many creatives as Matthew, you brought up. I would never, it would have went horribly wrong. I would have screwed up any opportunity because I wasn't ready to have it. I didn't have the pieces in place. I needed the wisdom. I needed to grow up, you know, so that I could step into this. One thing that I will share that was not so good that um, I have fortunately spent the last now almost four years solid um, correcting in my life. One thing that happened in all of that was because that experience and that breakup was very, very hard. I had some very tough experiences. It was a moment where I really had to dig within for real, for real. I isolated myself from everyone for eight years. I didn't date. I didn't hang out. If I wasn't working, get the hell out of my face. Didn't have people uh -huh. over my apartment. I was like, no. You reach, you want to come? No. Do you want to do? No. It's like, you reach, but do it's a work party. Work party or work? A work party? No. Work? Yes. You know what I'm saying? It was like that. And I might say that that was a mistake. Let me not say that because we're here. And because of that work that I did, I'm ready for the current relationship that I'm in that is just so supportive, so healthy, and so right with, with Una right now, right? Had I not done that work, I would have probably shown up to the next relationship the way I was in the one that I just left, right? There was that time, I call it, I dated myself. You dig where I'm coming mm -hmm. from? I dated yeah. myself for eight years. Like, figure that out. That was when... I caught myself. I tell this story, uh, Drew, you may have heard it. Matthew, this may be new. I told the story about how, like, wow, I was walking around my apartment one day. I was like, wait a second. I've literally been cursing myself out in my own head for 40 minutes straight right now. 
I've literally been calling myself a loser and you suck and there ain't nobody even in the house. Does that make sense? I'm still really hard on myself. I work on that a lot to this day. Yeah. That was the first time it became conscious. And then that's when I started to meditate. And that's when I started to do the things that started me on my way of looking at things differently um, so that I could grow, so that I could do things in a, in a healthy, correct way, invite the right people into my life, receive from the right people in my life. I'm sure you could both relate to that, man. It's like, I remember, <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> I gotta tell you something. I remember, this is how sick I was, okay? I'm gonna straight up tell you. In my apartment, I put my wedding ring, I'm divorced. I put my wedding ring on my dresser so that I would see it every day. So that if I left the house and I encountered some woman who I thought might be cool, I would come home and I would look at that. I'd be like, you know who else I thought was cool? You were mistaken. I was like, get the hell out of my face. Like literally as a reminder <laughs> to keep people out of my life. You dig where I'm coming from? Right? <laughs> you know what right? Hilarious, right? It's some dark you know, shit. <laughs> but it's all of these moments, you know, again, what do they say? You know, um, the, 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 the brighter the picture, the darker the negative, you know? And it was because mm, like of those type of experiences that really challenged me to look at things new, look at myself new, look at how I'm operating new. And it was the, the, the breakup of that relationship that, that wow, it, it catapulted who I was. And because that became catapulted, I was now able to grow in my career in a different kind of way. And, and I might say that now in, in the relationship I'm in and that I've been in for four years, I will say that now I can see how that's the next evolution. As, as you gain more responsibility, as you expand and as you grow, wow, I got to tell you, what does it mean to, to do something badass and then to like have somebody to, mm -hmm. to be like, yo, that was badass. It seems so silly in one sense. But I do remember when I would kill a gig on the road, like I'd be in front of hundreds of people, you know, facilitating. You reach, you're amazing, you're so inspiring. And I remember flying home and then I'd be home. You hit that low mark, right? It's not like, you know, oh, where's my cheerleading squad at home? But it's an interesting thing to have a moment that profound and then have no one to share it with. Mm. Pretty sure you both could dig on that on some level or, or not. 100%. And I think that like... You know, when we talk about sharing too, it's like, you know, I know Drew and me, we've really leaned on each other a lot going through our divorces and various breakups. I'm curious, you know, it, we deal with clients every day and they go through with that. How have you found that moving forward with that, maybe what you dealt with in your life has maybe helped you to kind of relate or help out clients in that similar situation? You know what, Matthew? That interestingly, is a relatively short answer that I'm sure I will elongate. But anyway, right? <laughs> you to know what I learned, and it's kind of crazy. I had a number of interesting experiences at the last um, year or two of my time in the Bay Area, right? I moved, I, I left the Bay Area back to be back home in New York in uh, February of 2017. Almost like right now, I'm almost celebrating, like almost to the day, right? I'll tell you, one thing I realized, 
and this, it's, it seems like a cheesy saying, but it is the truth. And I had an experience that really hit me to it and I absorbed it. People we meet in our life, a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And it's relevant because none of those is any more profound or any more valuable than the other. It's interesting how we can move through life like we're collecting friends, you know, right? So the people I know when I'm 12, I should know when I'm 20, and I should know when I'm 30, and I should just keep on growing this entourage of friends, and no one should ever, right? And, and I equate this to my marriage. It's like, you know what? I never so proud, profoundly understood that that was a relationship of a season and was very purposeful. I, going into it, as we all do going into marriages, thought the purpose was to live the rest of my life with this woman, not the purpose. The purpose right, exactly. was for me to be turned on to this profession, for me to do this, because, you know, I mean, please, all three of us serve so many people. There's a bigger purpose behind what my ex-wife gave to me, right? You know, but when that purpose is done, and I think this is something that, I think this will land with people, it'll land with both of you, I'm pretty sure. The biggest mistake we make is when the purpose is done, we keep hanging on. It's like you're, yeah. it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, you graduated 12th grade. That would be like me going back to high school and then going back to 12th. It's like, you just, didn't you just throw up your cap? Like, why are you here again? Do you know what I'm saying? And then, of course, it sucks because I've done it already. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. And, and that was the thing that I realized in that moment was don't punish yourself because it didn't work out. It just didn't work out. It, it's not my fault. It's not her fault. It's just what happened. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like, whatever. And, and even if it was somebody's fault, who even cares? It doesn't matter. Because for me to keep dealing with it's your fault, yeah, great. That actually affects my life. So better I let go yeah. of it's your fault. Who gives a crap? I don't know. We're not together. Let's focus on that. You know what I'm saying? Right? Mm -hmm. And then I would also say to be okay with the fact that not every relationship is meant to last a lifetime. You know? Right? Yeah. And... I'll say this too, behind the chair, and, and, and again, I didn't have biological children with my ex-wife, so I'm just going to speak to this from my experience, yeah? When we split up, I left with a TV and a table. We bought a house together. I was like, all I want is this TV, this table, and I want to I move to North Beach in San Francisco. I want to get the hell out of the suburbs. You can have all of it. I need to start my life new. And I think that can become, and I hear it all the time behind the chair. I have had clients that it's like, how can you still be getting divorced? Like, it's been six years. Like, and you're still <laughs> fighting. It's like. Just rip it off. Like, is it worth it? You know, and, and I'm not saying yes and I'm not saying no, right? Because that's everybody's individual journey. And I will always yeah. never look at that with judgment, always curiosity, you dig? But I will say that would be a question that I would be is like really ask yourself because you're stuck in a holding pattern fighting over material stuff when the fact is, as human beings, we're all resilient, we're all survivors, and we're all creative. You can figure out how to get more stuff. You know what I mean? And the more you stay in that, you're not able to move forward fully because you got a foot in the past. There's no debating it. If I got to be in court every three months to fight over something, obviously I got a foot in the past. I don't know. Please. Again, I grew up in health. Yeah. I don't want to see a court. 
You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> no court through my teen years and my 20s. I don't want to see no courts. I don't want to talk to no lawyers. I want none of it. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I don't blame you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, you know, it, you know, whether it's emotional or physical things you say you keep in the past, you are doing a great job of navigating and evolving as not only a hairdresser, but as a coach, an educator, a mentor, um, you know, all of these different rules or roles. And so as you are navigating this exciting world of hair, what is the hair story that Yurish is telling right now? What, or what's next for you? Man, what's next for me? First of all, you know, starting my own venture, my, you know, my, my Yurish style education brand, that's been its own journey. Listen, you two, honestly, when I first got into this, I remember marveling at how much money my ex-wife would make like i was like i can't believe it you know like again i grew up in broken hell's kitchen i was like i what you make how much for highlight like i was like astounded right so when i first started really it was largely about revenue it was largely about getting busy behind the chair and a lot of that was actually um very ego-based in the sense of I, I really connected my value with the fact that I was the busiest in the DPHO. I was the highest earning in D, and I had the most, and I would stay coming before, stay, stay after. That was very egoic. You get where I'm coming from? Um, as I move yeah. into teaching, which was fairly early into my career, actually, after I finished my apprenticeship, I think, I think all in after my apprenticeship, I started teaching maybe two years after that. Oh, wow. That's early. I know Matthew and I started early. I don't know if we, Matthew, how, yeah. how early did you start? With I think it was within the first year I was teaching. Yeah. yeah. Same. So we all started early. Cool. And even when I first started teaching, when I think about it, you know, I remember thinking it was weird and maybe you'll both relate to this. I think, I, I don't know, or maybe this was my dream is fine. Even when I think about it, like it was also egoic. It was about like, how many people can I help? How many times can People say, you're so inspiring, Yurish. I couldn't hear it enough. Yeah. And then as I grew, and when you ask me this, you know, my hair story, Drew, it's moving more into service, brother. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To be honest, um, and moving less away from me being in that kind of a center stage, even with, you know, my own education brand and everything now. You know, even when I think about it, so much of interestingly what I'm known for now in this business, which is hilarious, my career is based on precision haircutting and building education programs. I mean, I've been the director of the National Academy and all this, right? You know, right. it's so funny. You know, so many people look at me as the business development, personal development, and like coach guy. Yeah. You know, yeah, right. And, and, and and it's interesting to see how in many respects that that isn't so center stage. It's it's building champions. Yeah, it it takes some you know, it's much easier, I think, for any of us, anybody, to stand in the center spotlight and get used to that. It takes another type of person to stand in that spotlight but not try to be the one shining. Right. I think it you're you're creating the leaders and the people coming up next. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's and, and we forget that's when we make the biggest impact. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it, it's, you know, when you do, when you do it yourself, it's like, it's great. You know, Hey, I'm not mad at like stepping off a stage and, and hearing applause. You know what I'm saying? So, I, right. However, 
I'll tell you something, and I was sharing this with uh, my 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 salad because I'm I'm also you know master master stylist and, and director of haircutting education at the salon I work in because I'm also in a salon two days a week. Shout out Broom Street Society. Yeah, Broom Street Society. What <laughs> right? Um, and I remember I was cutting. I had to come home. I was talking to Una about this. It was astounding. I've been teaching this young woman Alexis for for years at this point now, right? Um, she's winding down the end of her training. She's taking clients. Yeah, you know, I've been working with her on men's haircuts. I'm doing a client, you know, at the other end of the salon. And I walk past her while she's starting a men's haircut that was booked for her. It wasn't no model. This was like a client, right? I walk past and I see it. Like longer hair, maybe like down to here, right? Whatever. I didn't listen to consultation. I'm finishing up my blow dry. I see this cat leave. It was a total transformation. It was like she did it. It was like so, it was beautiful. And I was like, wow, I had nothing to do with that. This guy was given this young, amazing stylist, amazing artist, all the kudos, which she deserved. It was one of my more proud moments, right? Because I knew I had a hand in, not in totality, because it always takes a village. We'll all attest to that. No one person taught me how to do what I do. That's for damn sure. That took a team for real, right? <laughs> and, and so, but to have a hand in that and to see that and to see that person, now that's something that I was like, wow. And that now means more to me at this point than like somebody giving me the direct shout out is for me to watch the seeds I planted and to watch the people I served and shared with, to watch them just shine and grow, that's, I think that's, I think that's the biggest evolution with me in hair, man, to be honest with you. If, and it, and it, what can you say? This industry we're in, I'll always say it, you know, we're, we're in the relationship business. We're not in the beauty business. You know, when it comes to you two, when it comes to my friendship with you guys, when it comes to, you know, all this is relationships. We we do good work. We're yeah. we're 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 good at what we do. Great. Do you know what I mean? But we connect in, in in the way we walk the world. Like we don't connect because we all cut hair good. You know what I'm saying? That's true. Right? Yeah. You know, so when yeah. it comes down to it, that's what it's all about. So what I'm finding now, as important as the artistry is, as important as the excellence is as important as it is to stay inspired for our clients and for those that we teach and we share with and serve, as important as all of that is, I'm seeing now more and more the relationship aspect uh, of what we do and, and really to see the difference this makes other than like, oh, wow, look at my beautiful hair. It's like, it's bigger story than that. Do you know? And the longer I'm in this business, the more, the more I get attuned to that element, mm. you know, that's, that's that deeper element that I think everybody in our, in our industry. And to be honest with you, when it comes down to it, man, any industry, you know, every industry is driven by relationships and that's that deeper level that when you start connecting to that and when you start really um, showing up for that situation, that's when I think, it's 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 a it's a different experience, and uh, and where real expansion, real growth, definitely where where my next evolution is, 
you know, in, in my hair journey, that's that's for sure. You know what I mean? It's pretty powerful to find that fulfillment from, you know, feeling those accolades to just sitting back and seeing how you've impacted people. And I know the first time I met you, I was immediately impacted by your charisma. It was at that point, I had no idea about your talent and your abilities, which have since shown through. And I know that you're a master at everything that you do, but you are one hell of a human being. You are a person that I have an absolute honor to have ever met. And I can't wait to see what's next for you and to share this journey along the way. And you got a lot ahead of you because you are yes, one hell of a dude. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And and, and for both, I think the same of both of you, you know, for real, for real, you know, and, and at this point we've known each other for a time now. It ain't been 10 minutes, you know, and watching, watching wow. you yeah. both grow, watching you both expand, Watch it being a part of this new 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 venture of yours again, do you know? And it's it's exciting, and uh, I'm honored to uh, to consider both of you friends, and I'm honored to uh, be on this program for real. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, brother. I'm going to give a little shout out to uh, those of you listening. You want to follow along with your reach? Your reach. It's at y u r e e s h on Instagram, also on LinkedIn and Facebook, all the major media channels. Uh, always doing good things, brother. It's always so amazing to connect with you. Hopefully in the near future, we'll get to go have a steak dinner in our one of our chats. You know, it's actually, this is probably the first, yeah. this is probably one of the first conversations that I've had with you that I haven't had to get my dictionary <laughs> to look up a word because you use such, <laughs> such, such a vocabulary on this man. But anyway, man, it's... Uh, Honestly, always an honor and a privilege to to sit and chat with you and for you to share your story with us and to listeners. We're eternally grateful for that. Thank you for being here. Love you both. Cheers. Thanks, Yurish. Love you, buddy. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. If you all enjoyed this podcast, we would love your support. So please share with a friend and hit that subscribe button. Hey, thanks for listening and be sure to follow us on our social media channels. I'm at Drew Schaefering as well as at Crux Brand. And follow me at Matthew Stylist. If you or a friend have a very interesting hair story and journey through hair, please reach out and let us know. Until next time, this, this is the Strands That Bind Us.